welcome to People, Places, Planet Pod, the official podcast of the Environmental Law Institute, a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization working to ensure a healthy environment, prosperous economies, and vibrant communities founded on the rule of law. Welcome to this week's episode of the People, Places, Planet Podcast. I am your host, George Ray. Today, I will be speaking with Aisha Ramush, a visiting attorney and doctoral researcher here at ELI in what I hope will be the first episode in a series featuring ELI's visiting attorneys and scholars. For those that do not know, ELI's visiting attorney and scholar program provides critical work and knowledge to the organization. ELI hosts environmental lawyers, practitioners, and scholars working on policy research projects aimed at American environmental policy and at environmental policy on the international level and national level in other countries. These residencies help to strengthen institutional bonds and stimulate intellectual activity across disciplines and borders. Aisha herself has come to ELI as part of a Fulbright grant awarded to her for a project entitled The U.S. Influence on French Environmental Policy, a Transatlantic Emergence of an Environmental Presidency in 1970. A French national, her work considers the shared core institution of the presidency in the United States and France and the influence said office has on environmental protection. She is currently a Ph.D. candidate at University Paris-Saclay with a dissertation focus on the French presidency and environmental protection. Previously, she received a bachelor's degree of law from the University Paris-Saclay and a master's degree from the same institution. Her master's thesis considered the origins of political ecology and the notion of nature in Jean-Jacques Rousseau's State of Nature. Today, I will ask Aisha questions about her work and her experiences with ELI. Aisha, thank you for being here today. Thank you, Georgia, for this invitation and initiative. I want to start with the concept of a visiting attorney here at ELI. For our listeners, how connected are you to the overall organization and what does a day in the life look like? Well, I connected with ELI members a couple of months ago now, uh, actually was in January 20, 2022, almost a year now, while preparing my application for the Fulbright program scholarship. And I am hosted here at Eli as a visiting attorney. So basically, I conduct my research very independently, but I got to know and to meet various Eli fellows with whom I have regular meetings, check-ins on Eli projects, And some of them are really good resources for me. I think Eli is a really great framework. I can see how a nonprofit concretely work. And yeah, I use their educational tools and interact with various actors. They interact with various actors, either governmental, non-governmental. So it's very teaching for me to be hosted at Eli. Now to get into the reason you're here in the United States, your research, you mentioned you are funded on the Fulbright in the United States, and you're focusing on the 1970s in both France and the United States. Something that happened in the 1970s in both countries was that France's Ministry of the Environment was created and the EPA was established here in the United States. 
Was that pure serendipity? Was there a cultural historical moment that contributed to that almost concurrent establishment? I'd love to hear, you know, what you found in your research, because even just knowing that those two things happened around the same time was news to me when I read a little bit about what you've been doing. Mm, interesting. So it's good to see to see that you learned something um, with with, um, with this research. Actually, yeah, yeah. The, the question this is this is actually the starting question of the research. These two phenomenons happened in these two different countries at the same time. And I think it was, there's a little bit of serendipity. It is also a cultural and a historical moment, a shared cultural and historical moments. These two elements can be a justification of this same phenomenon. So the 1970s, generally, Montreal is a fascinating area in the history of environmentalism, both in France and in the U.S., U.S. and France had had a, I mean, shared the same momentum. I would say in the history of environmental uh, of environmentalism, in 1970s, George Pompidou, which was uh, the president of France at the time, visited the United States from February 28th to March uh, March 2. Yeah, he made this very famous address. I mean, famous at least in France, in Chicago in which he refers directly for the first time to the necessity of reducing pollution and reducing human harm to the environment, to natural resources. And he literally said, we must have a moral of the environment. So the vocabulary is a bit outdated, but it reflects a fledgling environmental concern an awareness from political leaders and from the French president, which is which is actually very new. So it is this discourse, this address is a milestone in the history of environmentalism in France. It is often quoted. And at the same time, I mean, almost at the same time, in January uh, 1970, Nixon also declared that he became convinced that the 70s absolutely must be the years where America, when America pays its debt to the past by reclaiming the purity of its air, its water, and the living environment. In his union, State of Union address on January 22, 1970, he also stressed on the fact that restoring nature to its natural state is a cause beyond party and beyond factions. Less than a year later, uh, after this visit of uh, Josh Pompidou in, in, in the United States, the Ministry of the Environment has been created, a real Ministry of the Environment, because in 1969 in France, the Ministry of the Agriculture has been organized in order to include a little bureau direction, actually. So a little team specialized on the protection of nature and environment. So in 1971, a completely independent administration institution has been created and specialized in environmental issues. So I think what happened in the 70s is basically that it was a moment of general consensus. So it's it was a scientific consensus. It was also a general awareness that was led by the development of the green political thought. I refer here to the major work of 
of Rachel Carson um, that basically spread almost revolution and her work her work in in 62 the silent spring reached uh, france obviously in france we have also a famous scientist who published major work i'm referring here to jean d'orst before nature dies um, his work was published in french in in 60 in 65 uh, if I remember well, and it has been translated in English in, in the 70s. So it was a very dynamic area for environmentalism and for environmental activism this time, switching from the era of conser- conservation to more far-reaching political to enhance uh, environment protection. So it was an activism from both civil society and governmental and institutional actors. That's really interesting that you kind of have those parallel schools of thought in both countries at the same time. And this is me going a little bit off script, but I'm interested to know that that speech that is so famous happened in Chicago. Do you know why it took place there? Was there any reason for the the Chicago location, any importance? Mm, I think it was... A coincidence because it has been it was organized by the Alliance Française and it was organized by the the, the Council of Foreign uh, Foreign Policies of Chicago. It was a coincidence. It was not uh, this the, the place where it occurred was not. I don't think there is a link between the topic of the environment and the city. But I might be wrong. Uh, I never I never thought about this before. Well, I'm I'm sorry to put you on the spot then. No, but, okay. okay. Uh, there have been other parallels in France and the United States environmental regulatory journeys. Can you talk a little bit about those? So I would say that there was like a shared agenda in both countries during the 60s and during the 70s in terms of development of environmental policies. I can't enumerate all of them and... But definitely we have in the 60s in in the United States that the Wilderness Act of 64 in France, we had a major act uh, regarding uh, water protection. Same year, 64, we have this first law regarding atmospheric uh, pollutions in 61 in France. And we have the Clean Air Act in 63 in France. Of course, we have this, I I mentioned it earlier, during the 70s, the creation of this uh, direction, which is like a, a small team within the Ministry of Agriculture dedicated to the uh, nature environment protection. This was created in 1969, beginning of 70. And at the same time, in the United States, we have the NEPA adopted somewhere between 69 and 70. The Council of Environmental Quality has been created same time too, same year, 69-70. Environmental Protection, EPA, has been created in 70. So, and I can continue, the list goes on, it's long, and we have the Endangered Species Act in 73, the Clean Air Water Act in 72, and we have more or less the same legislation has been also implemented in France. But here, I think the list is a bit longer on the behalf of the United States. They were way more proactive 
than uh, friends at, the, at this period, I would say. Gotcha. And thematically, are there a lot of similarities or is it more just environmental regulations in general are happening at the same time? Or is it things like, you know, when speaking about endangered species, both countries are enacting legislation on that at the same time? Well, I think it's generally there was like this the same movement that has been this has been has been started at the time. So it doesn't the teams and do not match all the time and systematically, but in some major topics they match, such as air, water. In France, we have this major law in seventy in seventy six, which recognized the general interest in protecting the environment. So basically it made an environment being a national priority. So this is also interesting. So it, it's not it's not a, a, a perfect competitive chart between the two countries, but we can definitely see that in both countries the same concern was present and we can read it in the various legislation that had been implemented at this time. I know your research wasn't only concerned with identifying these parallels, but also asking the question of why they exist. So you're not done yet, but to this point, what have you found? Yeah, this is a, a very fascinating question because I think it flirts with the limit of a legal, regular legal research because the more I investigate those topics and the more I believe that the most common point of the emergence of the environmental what do we call some scholar call the environmental presidency is actually the role played by the advisors, the bureaucracy while creating new administration, this new administrations of the environment in both countries, in both France and United States. So, you know, when, when we read a lot of um, works, we stress a lot on the presidential initiative, but it's not the logical and the movement is not actually a top bottom movement, but rather a bottom on top movement. What I mean by that is implementing administrations specialized in environmental policies means that you have to be aware of all the details and all the subtleties of the administration and how it can actually work effectively to enhance environmental protection, to enhance a public policy, a new public policy. And I think the ones that are more qualified to do that, the, the ones that are more qualified to advise President Pompidou and Richard Nixon are actually the ones who actually already worked in administration, scientists, bureaucrats, statesmen, advisors, political advisors. So this is what's interesting because I think in, in both countries and while reading and while furthering this research, I'm just, I'm just noticing the fact that it's bureaucracy that actually leads to institutionalize and improve environmental public policies while implementing new administrations. It has been done in the United States thanks to ASH Council with this ASH memo that advised for the creation of the NOAA and the EPA, for example. So 
What I appreciate about this research is that I'm exploring this limit of a classical comparison between France, uh, French and U.S. environmental law, because I have also to take into account the fact that the emergence of the presidential awareness to environmental policies is also determined by political factors, administrative factors, and also human factors. But what's interesting also is when I read sometimes in some documents in, in archives in France that the first protagonist of the creation of the Ministry of Environment said that the idea um, is literally imported from the U.S. I'm referring here to some testimonies, especially the one of Serge Antoine, a statesman who basically was one of the first bureaucrats who helped to uh, think, draft, and work in the first minister environment before Robert Pujad, the first minister of the environment, being appointed. So it's also too interesting to be more focused about the human factors, the, the ones that actually advise presidents, uh, the ones that uh, help to draft the first structures of the uh, administrative, of these environmental administrations. Yeah, you just got into it a little bit, this focus on the executive branch in your research. But how has the office of the president influenced environmental policy in the two different countries differently? Similarly, what is the role there and what have you found? So what is interesting, for example, in the U.S. is Richard Nixon advisors were extremely important in this whole process of creating a new administration and a whole new administration specialized in environmental policies. I'm referring to, I'm not sure about all the pronunciations, but Eric House, who was appointed as the first administration of the EPA, Russell Train, who was one of the first, uh, I think, chairman of the, the Council of Environmental Quality, and then second administrator of the EPA, the role of John Ehrlichman, the White House counsel and assistant to the president for domestic affairs is extremely important in the emergence of environmental policies and environmental administration. It's not about Nixon initiative. A lot of articles I read are more focused about the fact that Richard Nixon is, was a convinced environmentalist. No, it's not this. It's a little bit more complex than that. And same thing in France. Georges Pompidou was not an environmentalist convinced person. He basically and genuinely created this an administration uh, specialized in environmental policy because there's also a political opportunity while doing so. So I think this is one of the main common points in the two countries is there was an opportunity a political opportunity, and it has been seized, and it's somehow it has been seized, and it was regarding environmental policy. I think it could have been another another policy. Yeah, that's really interesting that you say it's not so much about individuals having this environmentalism in their ideas, but just a rather a political moment that mm -hmm. primed the executive branch. The importance of the administrative change has to be 
well understood here because it's thanks to the administrative changes, thanks to the reorganization plan of 1970, uh, that that actually those administration were able to be created. I'm, I'm, I'm referring to the NOAA and the EPA here. It was a political opportunity that has been seized. And I want to ask a little bit of a lighter question as well on these similarities and differences between the U.S. and France. You know, part of your program, you're on a Fulbright here, so you are living in the United States, but obviously you spent most of your life in France. How has your experience been in real life? What are you surprised about coming to the U.S., you know, and what do you like about living here? Okay, so, okay, let's talk about my my Washingtonian experience then. I think I really enjoyed the amazing people that I got to meet here. I think that Washington, D.C. is a unique city uh, in the United States, uh, almost a bubble. I have an endless list of trivial things that surprised me while arriving here. This is my first time in the U.S., actually. So a lot of things surprised me, very trivial things. But I would say that what surprised me the most scared me a little bit too is how far my ecological environmentalist ideals were and how my expectations for more environmental and more ecological future were high and while seeing energy consumption here we're seeing the lack of public transportation so i'm, I'm not going to be I'm not going to be very critical but i think uh, a lot of people know that the U.S. lifestyle is not very environmental friendly, to be very politically correct here. No, I'm, I'm glad you say that because it's true. And if that's something you're noticing, you know, as somebody coming to this country, then that's a great point to make. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, see, I think this, this is a this is a this was definitely cultural, cultural shock uh, from from me as a European seeing this. So, but I, I love Washington, D.C. It's, I think it's a great city. And also I love the people that I got to meet in Eli and professors and students at GW, George Washington uh, University, where I also attend some classes as a visiting student researcher, scholar there. And and I think I have a great experience here in Washington, D.C., being in these two, two institutions, yeah. Well, that's, a, I think, a good transition, you know, t- speaking about your classes at GW and the work you're doing at ELI, kind of moving back towards, you've long been interested in these cross-cultural legal questions related to environmental protection. In addition to your most recent focus comparing the U.S. and France, you also spent some time in Morocco. Mm-hmm. What can you tell us about the Moroccan environmental protection and how it compares to the French and even American system? Yeah, this is, this is a great question. My experience of Moroccan environmental law goes back to 2018 while being an intern in a law firm there. And one of the law firm associates made me discover the legal framework of wetlands in Morocco and public lands in general. She was, I think, personally involved in an association of residents near one of the last wetlands of this over or urbanized metropole of Casablanca. And it was a pure coincidence. And while doing some research on this, like on the side of what I was doing uh, for the law firm, I just discovered the similarities between French French and Moroccan public uh, property law and public land law. 
and this makes sense. I mean, uh, both countries share the common history, the reminiscences of French law during colonization is still visible. A lot of regulatory aspects are absolutely specific to Moroccan ancient and current constitutional history and regime. I'm referring here to many royal decrees that still rule and enforce environmental law there. So there are some also some legal categories that are similar in both countries. But so if a comparison can be made, it can only be made with the French legal system, obviously. Probably that can also be found between US and Morocco, but I doubt so. These are two countries of two different legal cultures and traditions. And I did not study this in depth, but I doubt there is any comparison that can be made between both countries. Yeah, that makes sense. You obviously have two very different histories underlying the legal mechanisms in Mm -hmm. in America and Morocco. Well, I'm on to my final question here today, and I hope this will become a regular question for the visiting scholars and attorneys that I interview on this podcast. But how has ELI as an organization and the visiting scholars slash attorneys program more specifically supported you in your work? ELI supported me while inviting me. And while preparing this application for the Fulbright program uh, that enabled me to come to say special thank to Jared Page. It has been incredibly helpful during the long process of this application. And even here, while being here in the United States, he's been super helpful all the time, always available to answer my questions and my concerns about environmental law in general. And Eli is a great place. I mean, it's the heart of Washington, D.C. It's a great actor and institution that actually collaborates and sponsors a lot of events with G with GW. So these, these institutions work in common on virus events and being here and there definitely made this experience in Washington, D.C. It's a great place to work. Well, I'm very glad to hear that. And I know we at ELI have appreciated you being here the past couple months and are excited to hear more about what you have found in your research as you wrap up your time here in the U.S. So thank you for joining me on the podcast today. I really loved hearing more about what you've been doing. Thank you. Thank you so much, Roger, for having me and for this invitation. Of course. Thank you for tuning in to People, Places, Planet Pod, brought to you by the Environmental Law Institute. We would like to hear from you, so please send us your questions, comments, and ideas to podcast at ELI.org. And if you're interested in learning more about our work, attending one of our events, reading our publications, or becoming a member, please visit our website at www.eli.org.